Like everyone wants to build their Instagram account right now and they're not replying to their comments. Yeah. They're taking the audience they have for granted and they're trying to achieve a new audience. You can't achieve a new audience until you ground the one you have. The same way that franchisors can become very vulnerable if they keep looking for the next sale and they don't retain what they have. Welcome back to Modern Business Podcast, where you learn lessons from leaders in franchising and beyond, and we bring you tools and technologies that can help your company grow. So on this podcast, it's a very special episode because we were at the International Franchise Association Conference last week, and we hosted Gary Vaynerchuk. Gary V uh, is what most people refer to him as. Uh, He was the keynote speaker. He absolutely rocked the house. I think that his message was very, very well received. Uh, if you don't know who Gary is, he's the CEO, a founder and CEO of VaynerMedia, which is a, a massive agency that services Fortune 500 and Fortune 100 companies. And Gary really is one of the foremost experts and leaders in all things digital and social. He's one of the most uh, celebrated and respected internet um, kind of influencers of this time. So it was an honor to have him on the show. And I'll note that Gary carved out 25 minutes to meet with us before he went on to go do his busy schedule. And he ended up staying for about 50 minutes. And so, Gary, uh, really appreciate having you on the show and having you come mentor our audience. Um, Gary's been an investor for, again, for folks that don't know him, he's been an investor in many tech companies from Facebook to Uber to Snapchat, and he's just a very dynamic entrepreneur. Um, We also talk about a couple of his other businesses later in the podcast. Empathy Wines is one of them. Shout out to Nate at Empathy Wines. Um, But one thing I want to say about Gary is he's a guy that has a lot of attention in, uh, you know, in the world and society. And he's he's all over the place on the Internet and he's on shows and he's very uh, in demand as a speaker. But this is a guy that really walks the walk. So it was an absolute pleasure sitting down to meet with him. Also joining us on the podcast because we had two other franchise entrepreneurs join us. We had Scott Mortier from Dental Whale. He's the chief revenue officer of Dental Whale. He sat in and Gary gave some really good advice uh, for, you know, across his brands. And that leads me to our show sponsor, which is a, a part of the Dental Whale brand, Dental Fix RX. Big shout out to those guys for sponsoring this podcast. Uh, founded in 2009, Dental Fix RX is a fast-growing mobile dental equipment repair f- service franchise that is revolutionizing the dental service industry by delivering immediate on-demand equipment service, handpiece repairs, and cost-effective consumable products through its network of highly trained professionals. With local franchise owners serving businesses within their market, Dental Fix RX compete, completes repairs on-site from mobile repair centers that are equipped to fix a wide range of equipment found in any dental practice, from compressors to chair upholstery. The company is awarded more than 200 franchise territories that service over 53,000 customers throughout North America. It's a very good franchise, entre- uh, franchise opportunity for folks looking for entrepreneurial opportunities through franchising, and they can be found at dentalfixrx.com. Lastly, on this podcast, we also were graced by the presence of Shane Evans, who is the co-founder and president of Massage Heights, which is a San Antonio-based membership massage franchise. And Shane's a good friend of mine, And Gary gave a lot of very good advice for her as it relates to personal branding and just really look forward to sharing this podcast, which we'll go ahead and cue it in right now. Um, We're going to talk everything from personal branding to Gary's thoughts, and maybe it's a little controversial uh, in in some places, um, but I think it's really amazing and uh, it's a message that um, that that really needs to be heard in the franchise community. So please follow us on Modern Business Podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube, by the way, it's M-O-D-R-N Business Podcast. It's on all major podcast platforms. And please drop your comments and thoughts in uh, the in the comments section. Um, and also be sure to review and share. Uh, thank you much, so much for joining. Enjoy this this episode. Cheers. Welcome. I'm Ryan Hicks, and this is Modern Business, the podcast to learn from franchise business leaders and explore new business technology. 
Our community is about sharing knowledge and tools that help us achieve our goals in business and beyond. Thanks for being here and welcome to Modern Business. One, if you look at franchising, I think that there's a really big opportunity with personal branding because in the franchise world, these folks have a, a baked-in audience with their franchisees. Yes. But there's not, there's, there's not a lot of people out there thinking about creating their own content. Like Shane runs Massage Heights. They have 150 locations across the country, quickly growing. I think that Shane has an opportunity from a personal branding perspective. I think that she should be focus on putting out content. What are your thoughts? If, if that's in her DNA. <laughs> you know, I, think I think it is. I think, you know, I think one of the things that people, there's a lot of ways to win. Shane might just be great at acquiring people into her franchise or, you know, or might be great at building the macro brand, which brings people in, or might be great at Google ads to get people into the top of the funnel into considering her franchise, but might be an introvert or, or to your point, like, you know, one of the things I love about building a personal brand is, you know, there's written word, there's audio, and there's video. There's a lot of people mm -hmm. that are crippled by video, you know, and, you know, so one of the things that I love about the rise of podcasts and audio is that I think it does open the door for people who are more comfortable in that environment. Look, I think building a personal brand is an incredibly powerful tool. I clearly do it. It comes with an enormous amount of variables that I think people have to be aware of, you know, you know you know, when it hits true scale like it has for me, it's created an environment where it's hard for me to hide, you know, like, and live a life, right? For me, I think some people get distracted by it. You get so, you know, I see a lot of people who aren't as thoughtful about seeing what I'm actually doing. So for me, it's incredible that I've hit such a status and I'm aware mm. of that. But for me, it's exciting, not because I can take a selfie in a lobby, it's because it's leverage for business. Yeah, sure. Right, and so, you know, I think it's also very hard. You know, I, I think that one thing that people have to understand is saying, hey, go build a personal brand, one that's successful enough to be worth the time you put into it, is really no different than saying, hey, go be a basketball player. Like, True. you know, like, cool, I'm glad yeah. that personal branding is a good idea. Now putting out the, you know, the thing with personal branding, if you even think about it, a personal brand, not a personal sales funnel. And back to your opening question, I think disproportionately the biggest issue in business today is people are in the sales business, not in the brand business. Yep. They are so stuck to short-term goals that they don't have the ability to invest the patience and the capital that is needed to actually build something meaningful that allows seven years from now people coming to you instead of you going to them. Yeah. So th that's kind of what we struggle with. So Dental Whale is the parent company to 12 individual brands within that provide individual services to dental offices all over the country and okay. dentists that allows them to compete with corporate dentistry, which so is, So Dental you know, Whale is more of a B2B brand. Yeah, well, it's the parent of these individual services, these 12 different service brands that we're promoting that are really sales, to your point. We're selling something direct to dental offices, and what we struggle with is Dental Whale's the brand, much like you're the brand, and then you have all of these other companies under but the, you. But the question is, does the dentist know the brand Dental Whale, no. or does it know the brand? No, that's our challenge. They well, know the individual that's service. That's where it's different than yeah. me. That's okay. where I would argue Dental Whale is nothing like me. Dental Whale is more like filling the seats, which is my LLC. Okay. Got it? It's yeah. so hidden that it's bringing you no value. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you've got 12 brands underneath. It's kind of like the private equity firms that owned all the yeah. IP, you know, it's like, sure. it's blind. So, you know, Dental Whale sounds like, at least the way you're explaining, is it, the parent company IP. It's a great name too, it'd be fun. Now, if those 12 brands on their invoices and logos had a logo on the back or the front or in company with it, like give me one of the 12 brands. Uh, Dental Fix is one of the brands. Dental Fix, mm -hmm. great. If the invoice, the packaging, the salesperson's business card had Dental Fix, and then in equal footing a dental whale company, yeah. Now yeah. you've built a, a brand. Sure. Yeah, that's that's good advice because we're we're really Dental Whale is new and the tw the <laughs> the parent is new and these other companies have all existed for and many it makes years. Sense. Before. And look, look, a lot of my clients, PepsiCo, Unilever, Procter and Gamble, they spend a lot of time thinking about like. Do we want to put the Unilever and Procter & Gamble logo on the back of the shampoo bottle? You know Head & Shoulders. Do you know Procter & Gamble? Things of that nature. There's a lot of ways to skin that cat. Um, 
I think it just comes down to your macro strategy, Scott. Including, do you want to brand Dental Whale more to the financial community because that's what you actually want to flip eventually and you never care about it being consumer facing? Sure. You know, biggest thing I always ask individuals like yourselves or anybody, period, anybody in this room, like, give me a time horizon and don't bullshit me. (laughs) Meaning like, hey, you want to, like, there's nothing wrong with running a sprint. Usain Bolt's really cool. Like if you want to run a sprint, run a sprint. If you want to maximize, you know, sales is great when you, if Shane says to me, Gary, look, this is great and all, but like, this is what I actually want to achieve. I want to get as many goddamn people into the system and then I want to flip it on an EBITDA to a holding co and be out and like, honestly, I love cooking and just, if I can just flip this, I want to move to the south of France and cook for the rest of my life. Then I would say, guess what? Branding may not have any importance to you. This is a 36 month sprint and let's become incredible at sales. And let's also at least be conscious of our true vulnerability, which is if we're acquiring all these people, we need to maintain them from a LTV standpoint. Otherwise, if we wake up three years later and we brought in 57, but we've lost 57, yeah. we haven't accomplished anything. Sure. Yep. Yeah. One of the things that you talk about a lot is empathy, awareness, knowing your DNA. I think that there's a really big opportunity with educating folks on the masses on what franchising is because it's a system of systems. So what are your thoughts on on the opportunity of entrepreneurship through franchising for a lot of people out there that are... I think entrepreneurial... So I think I have a very interesting point of view on this in a couple ways. Number one, I think that... I, I think that entrepreneurs that go into franchising are half pregnant entrepreneurs. I really do. And that's okay. They say that the- And that's okay. That is my my take. The the idea that you need a machine, it's training wheels. Like you want protection. So you're kind of there, right? And by the way, I, I, I need to say this because I just told Caleb, one of my big goals in 2019 is to be better at contextualizing my statements because I feel like as as I grow and have more eyes on me, my vulnerability is not contextualizing my statements. There is nothing yeah. wrong with that. That's incredible. That's your DNA. You want to be a 1.5. You're, and, that's an, and the amount of people that have gone on to build super happy, financially successful franchisees empires is a ton. There's a ton of them here. I'll see their faces in a few hours. But first you have to understand that because right now entrepreneurship is so cool that people put it on a pedestal, the ideology of it. I don't, it's just what I am. But, but what I will say is you've got, you've got to recognize, back to self-awareness, yeah. which is the most important, that if you're passionate about being under Shane's guidance, that is not what a pure, purebred entrepreneur is. And if you are, this is probably not the place to jump into you because you're gonna be mad at the mothership for putting training wheels on yeah. you. You just want to ride your bike. So that's number one. Yep. Uh, Number two, the reason I'm scared of it is because I think most people think the the whale or the brand are going to do the work for them. The naivete of of people that go into the franchise world and think that they're going to open the store in the morning and the logo on the building and the machine in corporate is going to take care of everything is what's causing so – it's why it's not a 100-proof game. The reason so many people lose in franchise worlds is because they think they're in the turnkey business and they're not. They have so much operations and marketing that's on them as well. Yet, yep. I think franchises uh, skew too much in selling the dream of how much infrastructure they bring to the table. And I think collectively, both from the franchisees and the franchisor, there needs to be a little bit more truth in a 2019 world that I think will make everybody more successful. And you're never yeah. going to live up to the expectation. If you're yeah. selling the dream, you're never going to be whatever never. their individual idea which is. That wh- is. Which is yeah. why, you know, I've thought about, I've, it's crossed my mind of starting a franchise. I think I'd be really good at it. And like in general, even the way I've built VaynerMedia, my biggest flaws have been entitlement by my employees because I do naturally DNA-wise like to overhelp, which I think is actually probably a good thing in at least the beginning of building a franchise business. Um, and and every time I dream it up, I always think about how radical the candor is going to be when I come out with it, which is, you know, the I'm just not going to sell a dream. I'm like, look, I think a bunch of you will fail. Like, and I'm scared of that because then you're going to make me look bad. Sure. I think a lot of you are 
actually have lazy tendencies, but you like the idea of having a business. Mm. Like there's real, like I've spent, I'm, I'm 25 years in my professional career at this point. Like there's a lot of shortcomings in the franchisees game uh, and there's a lot of great things in it. And oh, by the way, same thing with venture capital, same thing yep. with Wall Street, same thing with real estate. Like, and so I think, you know, I think this becomes a self-awareness and over-communication game. Um, so those are some of the themes that come through my mind. Yeah, well, I, I just think there's an opportunity for, you know, they say that entre- franchisees, entrepreneurs don't make good franchisees. It's, 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 the, it's why veterans are good franchisees because they're following the playbook, they're executing. Yeah, and, and I don't think they're following the playbook. I think that that's shortcoming an executor. I think she or he is doing above and beyond the playbook. I really believe that. Yeah. Like when I analyze it, they're, they're, they're cl- I think that you just have to realize what you're signing up for. And I just think that there's an enormous amount of naivete. Like, I just think there's a lot of naivete. Yeah, well, were you gonna say something? Oh no. Um, so I think that for for franchise organizations, obviously, because we're here at the the IFA conference, um, but for franchise organizations, uh, I think that your advice on parenting—it's really weird—but I think your advice on parenting is um, really good advice, really for any t- type of a, a coaching uh, a co- from a coaching angle. So uh, from franchisors coaching the franchisees. Can you talk about your top advice for parenting and maybe draw the analogy for how that's good for a leader and coaching their team? I think what you're referring to, because I talk a lot about parenting, is this kind of overloving but not creating fake environments and creating a merit-based ecosystem. I think what my mom did extremely well and what has really serviced me well as a leader and an operator and what I admire in watching in others is if you're the franchise and you've got these people, there's a level of you know, parenting that you need to deploy against it. That's why they signed up for it. They've signed up for the playbook. They Otherwise, they would have done it themselves. What I think is super important is what my mom did and what I believe in is the optimism, the overcoddling. In the beginning, you've got to do that. Like, a baby is a baby. Yeah. you got to help. Like, a lot of times these people don't come from any success, the amount of people that come from massive success, it's interesting. Watching the whole private equity movement of bigger operators come into this world has been interesting because the mom and pop generation of the last 50 years, you didn't have people come in from massive success to go do this. Yeah. These were people who didn't like their job or bought into a dream or you know things of that nature. So I think over coddling up front, but then siphoning off of that and then really creating a world of accountability. It's that balance of optimism and practicality that I think really matters. Yeah. So you have a philosophy of give more than you take. Yes. Jab, 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 right hook. What is that? What is that? For, you know, the, for jab, the audience. So I wrote a know. book. I was watching people struggle with social media. And by the way, here we are seven years later and people are still struggling with it. The concept was give, 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 and then ask. Mm-hmm. Jab, 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 right hook. When I wrote it, It was because I was watching too many people not only ask, almost entitled to try to take with their posts, like buy my stuff, buy my stuff, buy my stuff. So I thought I was writing it for people that were in the right hook, right hook, right hook, right hook business. And I was trying to educate them of like, look, if you don't romance a little, you're not gonna close. Like you gotta throw the jab, set up your punch. Ironically, if I told you seven years later, the people that most got the value from the book were the people that were in the jab, 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 jab business. They were not good at sales. They were scared to ask for business. And so the reason they felt an impact was by the time they read the book, a lot of them for two or three years had given so much value to their audience that when they finally built up the courage to say, can you buy my flowers? Can you buy my sneakers? Can you buy whatever it is? They actually converted extremely well because they landed so many jabs in the prior years and that gave them confidence. Uh, But to this day, if you go look at if you go look at 100 people that you follow on Instagram and you look at their last nine posts, which will show up on your phone, it's unbelievable that if you thoughtfully look at it, how many of those nine posts are self-serving? Easily nine, maybe eight. <laughs> it's just it's people. People are like, I want to be a personal brand. I want a community. If you want a community, don't you think you should give to that community? So that like, why are you entitled to have a million fans? because you're taking a photo like everybody else about your cool clothes or you, this trip you're on. I mean, it's absurd, which is why I think I continue to grow. Like, if you look at my posts, outside of the occasional time I have that one post where I try to get people to turn on yep. their notifications, mm-hmm. or in my zones when I've got a sneaker or a bottle of wine where I've got that world, every other minute where I'm not on the hook because I've got something to sell, 
every piece of content I'm trying to put out is gonna bring value to the audience at no cost so they can go and do something with it, that's why they listen to me. Not because of anything else. You're either information or your education or your entertainment, right? The reason a lot of people win is their entertainment. They're super attractive. It's like looking at models and looking at, you know, Maxim Magazine, right? They're comedians. If you've noticed on Instagram, a lot of comedians have done well. You get a laugh. It's highlights, right? UFC and basketball. Like, you're either entertainment, aka escapism, people's lives are complicated, they want 17 minutes on their feed to escape their real life, or your education and advancement, you're bringing something of value. There is no accounts that are doing well that don't do one of those two things. Yeah, so we've really started to do that because in the beginning we were selling services and now we've begun acquiring education companies within the dental space to really educate the dentist first and foremost. And then if there's a need, we can sell them something, but our mission is not to sell them. The end, brother. Like to me, it's so easy B2B. Just become a service provider of information in Mm. a contemporary world. Literally, literally, you should have a blog post, a LinkedIn post, and a YouTube video of every single pain point in dentist history. you know, like three ways a dentist can grow their Instagram. 16 Mm. things, 19 things dentists should be thinking about in running their business in 2019. Like basically I believe anybody who's in the B2B business should be in the B2B magazine business. Like whatever B2B magazine dentists read 15 years ago, you become that now on the internet, right? You see where I'm going, Shane? Like 18 things that massage therapists haven't thought about in building their business. And then you're, and then if you're really good, you're recommending things that aren't even yours, right? You're like, okay, you should use this software, not even yours. You should, you know, don't forget to hire a good tax attorney because a lot of you get caught on your 1099. Like value. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things, so my business, I'm in the social technology world, kind of like a Hootsuite, but specific for franchising. In the SaaS business. We, yes, correct. So we see a ton of brands, they're pumping out syndicating content from the corporate down, but they're not doing anything locally. They're not creating local engagement. Huge, Talk huge. about, just the biggest like, mistake I see. Yeah, punch, punch some of those folks that are in the audience listening, punch them in the face with why they should be creating local engaging content. Because they want their business to grow. That's why they should be doing <laughs> You know, like it's not super complicated. If you're not making contextual content, you've lost. And so that whole concept of corporate's gonna make something and I'm gonna share that on my Facebook post and it's vanilla coming from corporate and now I'm posting it on my account and my audience, like, that's why it doesn't work. Yeah. It's like so obvious. Yeah. Like, you know, original content that's contextual to your five mile radius is always gonna disproportionately matter to a franchise business. Yep. Like, you know the pothole that is on your street. That's the joke you need to be making. You know that what what hot new yoga studio opened up in the same strip mall as you, yep. you should be referencing that. You know that the principal of your town just celebrated her 50th anniversary. That needs to be your post. Yep. I just, I, you know, I don't, the utter entitlement that customers should be falling over themselves to come to your place <laughs> is the most laughable thing I yeah. see in business. Yeah. One of the things that you talk about, micro patience, macro speed, or did I get that reverse? You kind of alluded to it whenever we opened up. Um, share your thoughts on share your thoughts on that. Like, what does so that mean? Ma- so macro patience for me is what is your is back to Shane wanting to cook in France. Like, if that's what she wants, right? <laughs> Probably not. Respect, <laughs> respect. <laughs> totally making it up. Don't worry. Totally Shane has a cook. Yeah. Shane has <laughs> a cook. Fine. So, so if if Shane wants to build something else and wants to build on the experiences that she learned here, you know, to me. To build something meaningful, it's a marathon, right? So I always talk about macro patience, but her macro patience may be the, the, the framework of her entire career of building four different IPs in this space. And then she needs to be thoughtful about that because for example, when she's trying to flip this one, inevitably when you're in a transaction mode, you're going faster and you're trying to do anything you can to make that yeah. thing happen. Mm-hmm. That also creates the potential to create a vulnerability in your long-term play. So for you know, for me, I'm always thinking so long-term that I'm leaving an enormous amount of economics on the table on a daily basis. But the micro, so it's macro patience, micro speed. Macro patience is what are you, what's your North Star? What are you actually trying to achieve? The micro speed is on a day-to-day basis, like squeeze those hours. I, I just, I'm, I, I, it's very obvious to me that 
the reason so many people fail is they're in the reverse. Their macro thing is like, tomorrow I wanna be a millionaire, but then on a day-to-day basis, they're sitting around doing nothing. Like, I'm fascinated by it. And so for me, it's like, my hyper speed on a day-to-day basis is very intense. You're talking about 10, 12, 15 hours of zero break, zero lunch. Like, like when I travel like this, this is like, this is like a huge accomplishment. Like, I got to have a conversation with my buddy Craig, who like, you know, I can't even grunt at him at Vayner. <laughs> like, like, just even like, if I can wink at him, like when he's sitting there doing work, like that's like a big accomplishment because I have zero seconds. So, you know, on a day-to-day basis, I'm squeezing every, every minute, but my macro behavior has created a scenario where, you know, I'm pot committed to the long term of my mission, which means I'm leaving enormous economics on the table on a daily basis. Yeah. You know, over the last, I would argue over the last six, seven years, it scares me to think about, you know, the hefty eight figures that I've left on the table if I was just moderate in my kind of like behavior but it's because I keep putting pennies in the bank for another day. Um, So that's how I think about it. I think creating wealth is different than getting rich. And then then it goes into a much bigger thing because we're talking the financial aspect. Cut to the chase, I love my process. I love what I do. Like, I don't want to sell my company. (laughs) Like, I want to be doing what I'm doing. And so you have to know if you enjoy it. Like, why are you doing it? Uh, You said something interesting to me that I think a lot about. What if Shane loves what she's doing for two years and then like over a vacation when she's getting a fresh start, she thinks of an idea that she's even more excited about than what she's operating. Every entrepreneur has that. You're getting pulled. Entrepreneurship has unlimited mistresses of ideas, right? Like you're on your thing, but you're just thinking about unbelievable amounts of other stuff. It's your framework. That becomes a very difficult discipline game. Yeah, yeah. Tactically, there's two other things I want to ask. I don't know what, what your timing looks like, but tactically, from a franchise development standpoint, okay. t- talk about some tactics, strategies, and, and content that you would produce to attract and recruit franchisees to your system. I would probably make a ton of content as a hu- me personally, as the human who came up with the idea, I would probably make content geared towards people with entrepreneurial tendencies that half pregnant person. The, you know, a lot of the content would be like, have you been successful operating as an executive for the last 12 years and make six figures? Have you thought about something in between what you do and the high risk nature of true entrepreneurship? Consider me. Yeah. A lot of that, like that theme, a lot of that. A lot of that. I'd probably make a lot of theme for high net worth individuals. I think one of the most anxious groups of people in our society that nobody's talking about is extremely wealthy under 30 year olds who are inheriting a lot of money and have a terrible, yeah. have this terrible thing that nobody feels bad for them because you hear about trust fund baby and everybody becomes envious. Meanwhile, she or he is struggling with the fact that no matter what they do in their lives, they'll never be considered successful because they took grandma's money and so I would probably go after them because I think a lot of them are looking for ways to make a name for themselves. And I do think, you know, large scale franchise, 150 locations over four different IPs is a meaningful business if you can create operational efficiencies at the top. So I'd probably speak a little bit to that. Uh, I'd probably speak quite a bit on LinkedIn to the private equity community as that world has become far more interested. Uh, I'd also then, if this is now me, and, and kind of speaking to the two people at the table, I would ask them, what do you know best? And like, so if you know accounting best, I'd probably make a lot of accounting content. You know, Steve Ross, my business partner, owns the Dolphins, billionaire, he won because he's a tax guy. He's a great developer, but he understood tax law at an extreme level. I don't understand tax law at all. I'm probably gonna leave way too much money on the table in my life because it's not what I understand. But what I would do, Gary, if I started a gym concept, is I would speak unlimited about marketing. Why you should, it's Vayner Sports. Why are we starting, you know, we had a good day, we had a couple free agents just sign with us, I haven't told Craig about it. And, like, nice. and why did they sign? It's because now that we're in it a little bit longer and it's not super new, now our biggest strength is playing out, which is we're making more money for our athletes off the field, you know? And so what I would speak to is why yeah. we helped Sonic or others do well and I would trade on my strength. I would trade on my strength. Yeah, self-awareness. I want to talk about, um, actually, do you have, like, from a tactical standpoint, do you have any, do you have any questions? 
You know, you know, my, mine really, I, I touched on it earlier, is really just kind of understanding the branding piece and great advice on your part is whether we're going to make this a brand or we're going to make this forward facing. And as we grow these, we're growing at a very high rate. <laughs> we now have, you know, 850 employees and we're doing a great deal of revenue. We're shifting from being that entrepreneur mindset into a real big corporation. I think the biggest thing when I hear that is to not get too big corporationed out. Yeah. The cliche thing in this transition is you put on a pedestal things that are done in corporate yeah. and a lot of the things that got you here are the things that you should continue to do yeah. yet people think they have to graduate to something slower and more methodical and I so just make sure that you're thoughtful about that because I see that a lot. That's exactly what we're going through. So. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, yep. and, and, and I think what you'll go through, what a lot of good operators go through is they'll go through it because they got to taste it. I went through it with Vayner. I needed to taste it. And then once I tasted it, I'm like, mm, well, I'm going to go to like, you know, this is not what I'm trying to build. Like I need more entrepreneurial tendencies in this massive company. But I think entrepreneurs a lot of times put you know, corporations are the right way to do it, yeah. the grown-up way to do it on a pedestal. Meanwhile, those are usually things on the decline. Yeah. You know, big companies are on the decline. <laughs> you know, somebody's there shepherding it to try to maintain it. Yep. But the energy that built it, and I think even at this size, it's still small in the scheme of things, sure. right? You can still do a lot. You know? So kind of maintaining, staying lean and staying hungry and kind of keeping Just the offense. principles that you're got either, you. You're yeah. either on offense or defense. Yeah. It's not super complicated. Yeah. There is no middle. People think there's a middle. They're just not. The business is a gravity game. You're going one way or the other, yeah. period. And a lot of people think they're not. They think that, okay, we've matured now. Let us maintain. Let's slow it down for a second and like clean up some stuff. That means you're declining, which is fine too. One step backwards, two steps forward is remarkable. I've done it plenty of times. But acknowledging that, sure. I think, is important. Good advice. Tell us a little bit about what you're up to with Sasha Group. I know that you, you guys launched. Yeah, we, you know, interestingly enough, and th th this is one of the spaces that we thought a lot about. Because we were in the auto space and because we have Pepsi bottlers with Pepsi and because we have distributors with liquor brands and you know franchisees models with some of our clients, we... Um, we just knew that there was a huge opportunity for us to service smaller businesses. Mm -hmm. You know, Vayner has gotten to a place where Vayner Media really services companies that can afford to pay a million dollars in fee, let alone the money yeah. they spend on ad dollars. But the website was getting thousands of inquiries from people who literally are like, I have fifty to $500,000 to give to you, please take it. And we weren't even, forget about saying no, we weren't even replying, the volume was so heavy. So after a while, I'm like, okay, it's time to really get serious about this. And so in late 17, all of 18, we built a lot of models, right? The 4Ds, kind yeah, of $12,000 yeah. consulting day session, this kind of like Bain McKinsey, Boston consulting thing for small businesses called Boehner Mentors, which was like 150,000 to $250,000, you know, eight to 15 week, let us help you truly build your business. Um, are you sending people out or are they, are they coming into both, the office? Yeah. Both, they worked so well all these different things we did, that by Q3 last year, I'm like, I'm ready to, you know, really build a company. Yeah. And so my confidence is uh, is played out in what I called it. There's no way I'm gonna build a business named after my dad that I'm gonna let fail. <laughs> so it's going really well, We've keep, we keep hacking. We created this really cool product that I'm most excited about right now. It's like this fifteen to $25,000 whiteboard session on media. Yeah. That's a place where I see a lot of small companies wasting money. So like they hear my propaganda, they hear the world's propaganda, they're smart. And I use propaganda as a slang term of like, they hear the information, which is Facebook, LinkedIn, this stuff works, but they have no clue how yeah. to do it. So they're spending 500,000 a year, 150,000 a year on ads to try to make something happen. It's not working. What we found is in one session with us where they pay 15 to 20,000, as long as they have a half a brain, there's so much learnings coming out of there that they go and make that 200,000 work way harder. You can spend $200,000 on Facebook, television, print, radio, yep. and get $5 value if you don't know what you're doing. And so, um, yeah, we're just, you know, that's something we, is, we didn't see as a, a value until we really, I feel like you, and I'm sure this can make sense to the entrepreneurs here, you learn by doing. You know, um, so I'm excited about the company quite a bit. Yeah, and Empathy Wines, how's that going? 
really well. We're really about to roll out the marketing plan. My big plan there was for the first three to four months, just figure out how much I could squeeze out of pe- guilting people into buying it. <laughs> so we sold about it four. You guilted it worked. Me it worked. Yeah. So we got a four or so, four or five thousand cases out of that. Now we got twenty five thousand more to sell. So the marketing blitz will start happening. Yeah. So you'll definitely you'll be seeing a lot of marketing coming from that company. Um, I'm really excited because we've been blind tasting our rosé against Whispering Angel, which is kind of the gold standard, and it's doing extremely well. Um, So if that maintains, because the sample size is too small for me to be overly confident, but if that plays out, if our rosé is as good as, the big strategy I had was make the greatest rosé ever made because that will be the gateway drug to the whole program because I knew the wine would come out right about next month. Yeah. So you kind of think about Memorial Day, you just think about like Instagram culture. Like yeah. if I can win the rosé battle, I think I can win the whole thing. And so I put a lot of time and effort into blending and making that wine, picking the sources of the grapes, working with our team at Bin to Bottle. Um, it's like two weeks ago was a really big day when those bottles came in yeah, and that. just kind of watching how people tasted sure. it. Uh, we brown bagged it last week with a bunch of people and it really performed. So if that goes, the whole thing will go. Nice. Shane, did you, do you have any, any tactical questions? I know we're bouncing around. A little about, I guess, um, so Ryan actually encouraged me to start a podcast internally that I'm doing with our franchisees. I'm getting really good feedback from that. But I'm thinking about um, starting something that would be, I don't know, just more educational to the, maybe the industry, the massage therapy industry. Just trying to As a gateway to get more people into the franchise? Yes. I think that's because right. I, I think I can focus on franchise development one way, right? But but I think if I can tackle you need to, and solve you the therapist. It. You got it recruitment issue then you, you got it because i think of it as hunting and farming yeah so your internal podcast is farming you've got people in your system you're obviously talking about different things these are people in your system it's yep. like talking with your family in your home yeah you can talk about things in a different way but then having a hunting product where you're talking about the macro industry which leads to trickling down into a gateway into people signing up for you this is everything i mean this is what people have to be doing that's branding then people are coming to you. Like how many events, like just like selling as hard as all these franchisors are selling, like like what, like buying ads and fucking ink.com and like, <laughs> like, 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 like holding like, holding like sessions in hotel yeah. rooms and yeah. try, like. Convention halls, I mean, all it's, the, yeah. It's like, it's like, I would, I mean, I would rather quit than do that. To me, building a brand that everything comes to you, like, Nike doesn't buy ads in ink and like hold convention trunk shows. You know, people go to them. And so building a brand. And the only way to build a brand is to bring value. Yep. So you have to be very disciplined. And I got really lucky slash, it just worked out for me. Wine Library TV was huge for me. I started in 2006, it just all started. And the first episode, literally the camera, I thought I was gonna do QVC. My full plan was to do QVC. I'm gonna be on the internet, on this new thing called YouTube. You know, one thing I don't talk a lot about is I made a video for our website four years earlier, but we hosted the video and it almost like put us out of business because it was so expensive to host video. (laughs) So, you know, the fact that now I could actually do videos and it didn't cost anything. But I thought I was gonna do QVC. And the first episode in the, like I have to go watch the video to see where in that first five minutes if I can see my face turn. Because somewhere in that first five minutes, I, in, I intuitively understood that if this was gonna be a peddling platform, that it would be good because I'm a good salesman, but it would be limited upside. But if I became America, or at least young America's wine guy, that I think I could build something much bigger. And I didn't really articulate it that much to myself. I just knew that I said to myself, okay, I remember I had three bottles of wine, they were expensive. But I remember thinking, if I don't like one of these, I'll tell them. Yeah. I remember saying that. That, that didn't happen because the wines were really high end. But right there, after that, if you look at every episode two on, I start saying wines that we sell are not good. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna build a, for the industry, you're gonna have to talk about things that maybe you aren't even doing well. And that takes a long view. That's macro. That's macro. Yeah. And that's what I try to do. Like, I, I, you know, if you really listen to my content, there's absolutely times where I publicly say, well, that's where me and Vaynermedia differ. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Talk about, so like, 
whenever you started the first Wine Library TV, a lot of people get bogged down in the details of like, don't know how to edit this, don't mm. know how to do that. Talk about, I, I just think putting out content's good. Obviously, you want it to be good, but what are but your But good thoughts? as I am beholder. And so I'm sure what you're referencing, because maybe you've seen it, no lighting, no audio. I never mic'd myself in the history of that show. Thousand episodes, never mic'd myself. Just used whatever the camera mic picked up. Like, didn't edit anything. Yeah. Like, if I flubbed, I just kept going. Like, it was just, yeah, just, I don't, I don't think people understand how content really works. I think people over-trust, the highly, people aren't trusting the highly produced content anymore. They, by the way, and by the way, I will say this, Scott. I think highly produced content's amazing, and it's, it's less about trust. It's just, it's just 99% of the people that are listening to this podcast or in our worlds aren't capable of producing high-quality content without pouring real economics into it, which will be disproportionately not valuable in the first year. Yeah. Right? Just think about it, yeah. right? Like, yeah. who in our world is in the right mind to spend an extra 50000 let alone the time, that would be, think about what I'm asking you and Scott, Shane. Like I want you to take time out of what, you guys are busy. Yeah. So if you're gonna make an hour podcast, another hour podcast, mm -hmm. time's already expensive. Mm -hmm. yeah. But then what happens is they surround themselves with people who do know production. What do you expect from people that know production? They do wanna use the best soft, like this is their passion. Mm -hmm. Like my team always wants me to buy this red camera and this fucking Sennheiser this. And, and I'm always like, fuck that shit. Like, you know, like, of course, but, but that's their craft. They, yeah. You know, I respect that they know it will sound better. I just don't think it matters. Caleb and I just filmed a bunch of pre-rolls and post-rolls and shit that I needed for our podcast downstairs In of this lobby. hotel yeah. with tons of background noise. And I'm like, and I'm like, what do you think? He's like, we'll probably have to do it again. And I'm like, and in the back of my mind, I'm saying, no, we won't. <laughs> like, we're just gonna That's run tough. it. It's just yeah. gonna run it. And yeah. like, and I think for a lot of people, when they're listening to the podcast and they hear this thing, they're gonna hear background noise. There is a level of authenticity that they'll like, and people will like that. And other people will tweet me and say, Gary, that I can't hear what the fuck you're saying. Can you refill? Like, so there's always gonna be something. That's yeah. kind of how I see I, it. By the way, I'm so looking forward to your keynote because there's there's a lot of really great people in franchising, but there's also a lot of a stuffy you know, stuffy yeah. suits. But I'm looking forward to there's right, an old I'm guard for sure. Yeah, there's the an old, old guard in everything. Yep. There's an old guard in everything. And by the way, I have a lot of respect for old guard. Absolutely. In a lot of ways, my career is already at a place where I have old guard things. I just think that anything that you put on an ideological pedestal is always a vulnerability. I can't wait to start making fun of social media marketing as a bad tactic in five to 15 years because <laughs> I was a kid who grew up who believed in direct mail and radio and Google AdWords and, and banner ads and local TV. It's just that I wasn't me then. But if I was me then, I would, there would be yeah. videos for you to watch right now of me yelling at you to do more direct mail and breaking it up by zip code. It's just I was so... I'm contextual to the time. Yeah, yeah. I think what the old guard struggles with is this is what got me here. What gets you there oftentimes is the vulnerability to the next chapter. I think it's super interesting because I saw a video you put out um, and you were doing the same exact thing. You talk about going on Instagram, DMing, right? You did the same thing. It was probably 2003 and you had your guy filming. You said, hey, come here, look at this. And you went to the website, you reached out oh, to the- Oh, the cold call. Yeah, yeah, cold call. When I, to the beer guy, right? Yep. Yeah, that's right. Or like how I really built myself. I really built myself on the back of Twitter, 2007 to 2011. I just lived on Twitter and just replied to everybody. Yeah. Like everyone wants to build their Instagram account right now and they're not replying to their comments. Yeah. They're taking the audience they have for granted and they're trying to achieve a new audience you can't achieve a new audience until you ground the one you have. The same way that franchisors can become very vulnerable if they keep looking for the next sale and they don't retain what they have. Yeah. What is the single most important social media platform today for you? It's, for me, right now, it's probably Instagram, but I think it's contextual. For, for Dental Whale, who, who's you know, looking to potentially get you know, either PE or corporate dental players, it could be LinkedIn. And, and for me, it's, it's only important on Instagram because of the hyper growth and the fact that my message is resonating with a certain type of demo, but in a lot of ways, even hedging my own answer, LinkedIn's helped me quite a bit because it's broadened my reach 
right? YouTube helps me because they're long videos and allows me to contextualize myself so the hyperbole of a one minute video on Instagram becomes dramatically more palpable or understood in a 45 minute interview. So they all kind of, you know, it's funny, it's like a Swiss army knife. And I think, I think that that's why I tell people to tell people about everything. Yeah. Like me being a big root beer fan, I remember perfectly during Wine Library TV that I had this whole subculture of people watching my show because they were just also like legit root beer enthusiasts. I'm talking about 50 people. But they literally watched my wine show because they loved that I also loved root beer and nobody was like uh, all about root beer. And so like, you know, if a lot of people hold a lot of parts of their personality when they're putting out content at bay. Meanwhile, it's in how we see each other in each other that allows people to resonate with each other. That's a really good insight. I mean, no question the core reason that I've been able to over-index in the urban hip-hop community is because I went to a a college that was 90% urban, and and as people, like, then, then people are like, oh, that, like, they need connection points. People need connection points. Yeah. So, all right, I gotta run. Good. Thank you guys. Hey, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you very much for listening to this podcast. It means a lot to me. A couple of closing remarks here as we wind down this show. First and foremost, thank you very much for listening to the podcast, Modern Business, M-O-D-R-N Business. You can find us on Facebook. Just search Modern Business. We're going to start building a community over there. Um, Be sure to hit the subscribe button uh, in whatever form that you're watching this. Uh, We're also publishing this on YouTube. You can just search my name. I'll link to the YouTube channel as well. Uh, we're we're uh, over on YouTube. I'll put I'll drop that link um, and a couple of other quick follow up notes and shout outs that I want to make. First and foremost, the Sasha Group. Um, Gary plugged a product, an educational product that they put together at VaynerMedia, and now the Sasha Group, which just launched um, and. It's not like they, they're just getting in business. Um, it's, it's actually the former chief operating officer of uh, VaynerMedia has now came over to head and started and is heading uh, the Sasha Group, which is named after Gary's father. As Gary mentioned in the show, uh, he's not gonna put his name and his father's name on something that's not wildly successful in that program. Um, I myself am gonna go take it um, because the, the program educates folks in marketing and folks specifically, um, there's tool sets around franchising, but send your VP of marketing, director of marketing, chief marketing officer, I think they mentioned it's 15 grand. It's probably worth hundreds of thousands of dollars or more if you use what they teach you correctly uh, to go execute. It's a phenomenal program, the thesashagroup.com. I'll, I think that's the website, I should probably go double check. Da-da-da-da. Yeah, thesashagroup.com. So uh, also you can email me, just email Ryan H, R-Y-A-N-H, at Rallyo, R-A-L-L-I-O.com, and I'll connect you um, with the president over there or with their head of, of, of business development and operations, and uh, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll see if we can get you some kind of a hookup on, on that media program. I bet we could work something out. Um, so email me there. Also, I would be remiss if I didn't plug my own company. I just gave the email address. Um, we have a product called Rallyo. It's a social media management, reputation management platform. And there's, it's franchise specific. And we've, I think we've got about 60 brands and growing. Um, and what, we, what we're finding most success with now is a new service. Not, it's not new, we've had it for about a year and a half now. Um, where we are doing, just like we talked about in the podcast with Gary, uh, the biggest problem he said he sees is is franchise organizations miss local level execution on social media, and Rallyo is tooled up like you've never seen before with back-end technologies that helps us scale the process of supporting franchise organizations at the local level on social media. We've got the national tools, a lot of brands use those national tools, and there's we have competitors, there's good companies in the space, um, that, you know, there's, there's, there's good companies to go have a social media management platform, and, and maybe your agency manages that, but local level, hyper-local level, um, we have an amazing value arbitrage on um, the cost for us to take over and handle that for your franchisees that don't have time and, uh, and expertise 
to be able to do local level social execution. Um, and the third thing that I wanna say, special thanks to Brian Corba. Brian Corba is a good friend of mine. He's writing a book called Start Speed. And it, actually that's just the working um, kind of model and framework that he's put together. But he coaches startup entrepreneurs and Start Speed does for the execution side of coming up with the idea, launching the business, build, uh, raising capital if you have to raise capital, or bootstrapping it and launching it. And then he has the post, kind of the post launch. But he does for that process what the Lean Startup did for product development. There's a book called The Lean Startup written by a guy by the name of Eric Rees, I think it is. I'm just going off the top of my head. Um, but it's a, that was a phenomenal book. Um, Start Speed is kind of the playbook for startup entrepreneurship. And the, that really, that's gonna be Start Speed 101. He could probably write Start Speed 1201 and that could be on topics like M&A and all that. But Brian Corba is a brother from another mother and look out for his book whenever he publishes that book. And then lastly, speaking of friends, I'm gonna give a shout out to my buddy Stan Friedman. He has a podcast called Franchise Today. Um, that's every Wednesday at noon, uh, uh, yeah, at noon Eastern time. So if you're in franchising, he always starts off with a bit uh, on IFA, news in the IFA, um, latest, latest news in franchising. That's brought to you by Solink, uh, another plug. Solink is a phenomenal company that I've done a lot of work with and they have a video and a really advanced video uh, technology platform. They basically take your existing security cameras and they marry that with the POS and they make that smart using data and AI to help with things like loss prevention and, and, and helping go quickly find transactions and send them off if there are transactions at risk. So the restaurants, retail brands, um, a lot of uh, really, really big brands and great brands are using those and really turn into them for operational expertise. So they're at soulink.com. Um, I love to, this is Modern Business Podcast and I love to talk about the right tools and technology that you should be using in your franchise or, or just being aware of and maybe you go check out the competitors. Um, but anyways, guys, thank you very much for listening. Uh, this is Ryan Hicks and we are out. Cheers.